Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Brooklyn to speak with Josh Bass of Locked On Nets about Brooklyn's surge to hold on to that playoff spot that they're currently sitting in, the return of Karis LeVert, and much more. We'll speak with Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers about what has been, I guess, uh, by some of the expectations, some people set a disaster of a season with the Lakers, LeBron, Luke Walton, and the front office. We'll talk all about that. And lastly, we speak with Tony East of Locked On Pacers about a team that nobody really even seems to care about, despite having the fifth best record in the NBA, the Indiana Pacers. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, and welcome to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I am the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. We're back for our first full week after the NBA All-Star break. Teams really sort of getting a handle on where they are. Um, the uh, buyout deadline coming up. Our teams trying to solidify themselves for a playoff run or, or a lottery push, depending on where they're currently situated. So we're going to cover all of the big news for you today in today's show. So Let's get to it. I'm joined now by one of the hosts of the Locked On Nets podcast. Josh Bass is here with me today to talk about a team who is, I guess, uh, maybe surprising some people in, in their push for a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Josh, the Nets, uh, who well, the player who was the Nets' best player at the beginning of the season, Karis LeVert. I think that uh, role has probably been usurped by D'Angelo Russell, but Karis LeVert is back. Let's uh, start with how he is looking after returning from that injury, which you know I personally had thought there was no chance he was going to be able to come back from this season. Yeah, absolutely. You and me both, Josh. And and Karras has played five games since coming back, and he's had a lot of good moments. His first game back, had five steals, was wrecking havoc on the defensive end. And certainly athletically, his quickness is back. He looks good. You'd never know that he had that injury. But still, it's getting back into the swing of things, plays that were normally and ones for him. He's not finishing those. Um, He's been a bit sloppy on drives to the rim. His passing isn't uh, at the place where his timing was pre-injury. So, it's getting back in the rhythm for him, uh, but when you look at his stats, five games, he's averaging less than 10 points on 35% shooting, 26% from three. It's certainly not where you want him to be and where he is as a player, so I think hopefully uh, the good news for Nets fans is that he's returned early enough to a point where once we get closer to the playoffs and this Nets team is proven that they're going to be uh, in that playoff race um, at 31 and 30, that Karras can work his way back into rhythm, and then hopefully Spencer Dinwiddie's able to come back from that finger injury. And then between those two and D'Angelo Russell, who's been a standout recently, you have a nice three-headed perimeter guard rotation to really lead things uh, into April. Well, Levert back has only shot over 40% in one of the five games since he returned. But I guess the positive sign is that he started the last three. He's played 30 minutes in two of those three games. 
uh, as well, you know, putting up you know, decent enough peripheral type numbers, you're doing a little bit defensively, he's still got some work to do, but I think the, the encouraging thing there, Josh, is that he is back and he is starting and he is playing those extra minutes, but of course that means that other people have to miss out on rotation spots and a, a rookie who was putting up some pretty strong numbers early this season and starting in place of Levert for much of the uh, uh, Rodion's Karooks, he was bumped out of the rotation, he actually came back last game while Ronde Hollis-Jefferson was out of the rotation. How is Atkinson going to run this? Because he did stay that he, and this is something that he had been, uh, I guess, the op- on the opposite side of earlier in his uh, coaching career, um, in terms of running a, a, a 10-man rotation. He goes, we want to run 10 or 9, and previously he'd be doing 11 or 12-man rotation. So yeah, what, what are we looking at here with, with Kuroks, who, who played so well, with yeah, Dinwiddie's got to come back as well? Is it going to be hard to find the right mix for these players? Yeah, it's tough because the Nets have a lot of guys in the rotation right now. But really, for Kenny Atkinson, it's more of an experimental time for him uh, because Spencer Dinwiddie's out. You know, the guard rotation is pretty cemented at this point with D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert starting and then guys like Shabazz Napier and Alan Crabb being able to play significant minutes off the bench. And then Joe Harris can obviously slide down to the two when needed. But when you look at that power forward rotation, it's a lot to figure out because Kurutz didn't play against Cleveland uh, the game before the All-Star break. He was slightly banged up, and they gave him that to rest. So we all thought that coming back after the All-Star break, he would be in the rotation. And not only was he not starting, but Kenny Atkinson didn't play him against Portland. He only played 10 minutes against Charlotte. And that four spot has really been the biggest weakness for the Nets this year. They were going with Jared Dudley a lot at the start just because his shooting was able to give the Nets guards more space to operate. But Rondé Hollis-Jefferson has had just an abominable year by his standards and someone that I don't see the Nets bringing back uh, because he is that restricted free agent. Travion Graham, they've played him a little bit. He's struggled with his shot. So I'm surprised that Kurtz has been bouncing from the rotation. I think long-term he is the, the highest upside guy that the Nets have. And even though he struggled lately and hasn't played at the levels he was in December and early January, just from uh, the ability to space the floor a little bit, uh, very smart cutter, athletic, can get out and run. I think he's someone the Nets need to invest and develop in. Um, so I'm surprised that Kenny's bumped him from the rotation a bit. But I think um, once we get closer to the end of the season, Rody will work his way back. And certainly with the Nets not having any solid option at this point at the four, uh, between him, Jared Dudley, Travion Graham, and Rondé, they're all going to get their chance to prove themselves. And hopefully someone can arise to, to the top from there. You mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie, who is still a couple of weeks away from his return after that thumb injury, mm-hmm. probably looking at early to mid-March at this point, and he's going to be a huge boost to this team, who is currently sitting in the sixth seed, three and a half games ahead of the ninth-placed Orlando Magic, so giving them a, a pretty decent buffer there, even though their closing schedule is uh, is relatively tough. Um yeah, the, the, the Dinwiddie uh, situation, he I guess he, he did struggle a little bit at the start of the season before Levert was uh, before Levert was injured, then he really stepped his game up. But yeah, he's going to be a key part there. But let's talk about the guy who's been really fueling this huge run from the Brooklyn Nets. They're, they're all-star D'Angelo Russell. Uh, I, go, I know people know D'Angelo Russell. They know you know his story from the Lakers. But I just want you to expand on, on what he's been actually doing and how important he has been to this team and, and the big steps in growth that he has taken to actually elevate himself. Because some people look at him and go, oh, yeah, is he actually an all-star? Is it like a fake all-star? Is it just an Eastern Conference all-star? But just yeah, how important has he been and how good has he been for this team? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to first off address that point about being a fake all-star and Eastern Conference all-star, I think those are, are two valid points. I mean, is D'Angelo Russell a top 25 guy in the league? Definitely not. Is he a top 35 guy? Maybe when you squint hard enough, he could be. But really, let's not uh, have that takeaway from 
the improvements he's made. I mean, he's taking seven and a half threes a game and hitting them at a 37% clip. His pull-up three has been uh, absolutely a revelation this year. And when you look at his game, a lot of it comes down to he's just doing, uh, he's cut down on his mistakes and his defense still isn't great. And it won't ever be with his uh, kind of physical tools, but he's trying harder. And that's important. He's getting over screens, um, giving more an effort there than he was in previous years. His turnover rate, he's cut that from about 13 down to 10. And, and that might seem like a small improvement, but it's actually huge when you look at it because he's not a super efficient scorer, but he's getting enough volume there and he's cutting down on turnovers and he's making the right play. And uh, I'm curious to hear your perspective, Josh, because D'Lo was someone that I was kind of down on coming into the season. I don't ever, uh, I didn't think he would ever be able to make an all-star team or have that potential. And he's really surprised me this year and I'm down on him as a, a superstar long-term. I don't think he's ever going to get, um, break into a top 20 player in the league status, but, uh, I'm curious maybe because I'm so close to the nets that uh, I'm not really, um, looking at him closely enough, but just in terms of what you think of his potential moving forward, what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, my my thoughts on Russell was when he was drafted, I thought he was you know, overvalued by some. I, I was pretty yeah, pretty low on him in comparison to, to other people. I was a little bit down thinking, yeah, maybe this guy's a little bit slow in some of his movements, but you know, I liked his size and his ability to pass. I was a little bit down on him then, but then the narrative started to turn, I thought, too quickly in the other direction. And I've been higher on him for the last two seasons than, than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I, now, I didn't see this sort of performance coming from him, and I still think there's yeah, an element of our unsustainability with his inability to get to the free throw line. That's a real problem, yep. I think. Long-term, his mm-hmm. defensive stuff is an issue as well. But the the usage bump, the the scoring, the three-point shooting, the the facilitating, that has all taken you know, much larger steps than I thought it would this season. And you know, if, if he made another one or two All-Star games in his career, I, I wouldn't be stunned. But I also wouldn't think that it's a, a stone-cold guarantee. Yeah, absolutely. I think kind of where he has to make those improvements are with his shot making and his shot making is good right now. But if he wants to take a leap, it has to become really, really good. And that's, it's a tough thing to ask because um, it's hard to hit those mid rangers at a 50% clip because they're not the most efficient shots. And uh, I think he's made so many great improvements this year, but it's tough for me, as you mentioned, to see him hitting a a ceiling of being more than an additional two time all-star to his appearance this year. Well, it's going to be awesome for Nets fans if Brooklyn does, in fact, make the playoffs. As I said, currently sitting in the sixth seed. So Josh will have that all covered for you over on Locked on Nets. Josh, thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate the time. Now I'm joined by one of the hosts of the Locked on Lakers podcast. Anthony Irwin is here with me today. And Anthony, I was just speaking with uh, with Josh Bass of Locked on Nets, and we're talking about D'Angelo Russell, which I'm sure is a, a topic close to your heart. So I'm not going to get you to expand too much on uh, on uh, you know, pining after your ex, so to speak. But let, let's talk about this current Lakers team who, as we currently sit, they're in the 10th seed in the Western Conference, three and a half games behind the 8th seed, LA Clippers, and in following what's been a pretty strong pattern from the Lakers this season, they pull off a, a big win, and then they clunk it in a uh, terrible loss against the New Orleans Pelicans. Why does this yep. keep happening? I don't think they like each other. Yep, that's fair enough. I, it, 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 I mean, we can, but but I think that's really where it starts. They The, the NBA trade, trade deadline really wreaked havoc on this roster and the chemistry in the locker room, and like one agent, the day before they beat the Houston Rockets, there was a report in uh, Sam Amick of the Athletics article, kind of like the, the the playoff primer, the playoff chase primer, and it was an agent who represents a Laker currently, speaking anonymously, uh, anonymously of course, and he says that uh, that they, he doesn't think or his client doesn't think 
that the Lakers will ever recover from from the damage that was done at the NBA trade trade deadline. And, you know, they went out and they won that night. But, you know, those inconsistencies come from a place where they don't really believe in each other. They don't believe in Luke. They don't believe in the front office. They they just they it's <laughs> it's tough times for for the Lakers right now. Um, and then and then Luke playing Rajon Rondo and Lance Stevenson any minutes whatsoever at this stage of the season like that you it's that's something that you can't recover from on the court so you have the chemistry issues that they can't recover from in the locker room and then combinations like that that keep getting thrown out there it's it's not it's the entire organization has taken a real hit this year why is Lance Stevenson playing? It's a question I ask myself, you know, quite often, especially now with with Reggie Bullock around. And I'm trying to get my head head on what they're going to do with this rotation once Lonzo returns, because they're going to this new starting lineup with Brandon Ingram at point guard. And I'm trying to figure out where where Lonzo fits. And I go, well, that, that's an easy decision. Or you just, you know, you can start him or whatever, but you, know, you just take those minutes away from Lance Stevenson. And I think, but I've said that about 20 times this season, and he just seems to keep getting playing time no matter how bad he has been. Is this? Do you think this is a a Luke? Walton misevaluation of the roster or talent, or is it pressure from the front office? Hey, these are vets, we've got to play them, or is it pressure on Luke from those players themselves, much like that discussion and the subsequent, if it's a Zubats trade, which is used basically to facilitate getting Michael Beasley the hell out of there, is it is it just that? Is it a lack of confidence in Walton or from Walton that, that's causing these decisions, which to pretty much everybody are clearly wrong? I think... So there's two ways to go with this. You could just say Luke is not good at his job, right? That's the simplest and probably most viable explanation here. It's just that like he he has this almost like borderline re- religious edict that 10 or 11 guys have to play during the game at, at some point. And you know, whatever, if you're going if you're going to play that deep of a bench, what that means though is that you're going to have those combinations out there where you know, you go with an all-bench lineup, and the Lakers just aren't deep enough. They aren't good enough to be able to pull that off, and and Luke has, has continued to stick with it. If you if you really want to try to to figure out why, you know, and you don't want to go with Luke being just not very good, yeah, I would I would probably say that there's pressure from the front office to to show that these signings that they made in the offseason beyond LeBron weren't outright failures and Luke is trying to hold on to any vestige of his job at this point, but he's a goner anyway. I mean, it's, it's kind of tough. It's, 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 I feel for the guy because everybody's watching him coach and we all know what's happening at the end of the year. This, this, it's the worst kept secret in the league that he's going to be fired at the end of the year. So I, I don't see how anybody buys into what he sells, uh, in, in his speeches. And, and then when his, when he plays his rotation, I think he's trying to do favors to all these guys, but it's, it's gotten beyond the point of, of doing favors. And, you know, if, if I were Luke, I would want to go out swinging. I would want to put together a rotation that actually makes the most sense. Say, screw the favors and, 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 and go out and show the league because he's going to want a job after this. Right. So you got to show the league at some point that, yeah, I, I, I'm actually not terrible at this. I, I don't actually think that Rajon Rondo and Lance Stevenson can play together. Um, b- benefits or, or favors be damned. And, and no, that, that, I, it's, it's, that's where it is right now is that you, you kind of have to wonder. The, the, the decisions are so poor that you have to wonder what else might be going on. But it might just be that, no, they aren't, they aren't very good. Now, I don't want to be completely negative this entire time, but I'm going to stick mm-hmm. on that uh, on that path at the moment. What's been worse this season, Anthony? 
um, Luke Walton's coaching decisions, the front office roster construction decisions, or LeBron's uh, level of effort? If I had to rank those things, all of all of the issues with the season stemmed from roster construction. Remember at the beginning of the season, the Lakers were a disaster if JaVale McGee wasn't on the court. And then Tyson Chandler stepped up and, and well, he was picked up and then he was playing above his head. But then, you know, Tyson Chandler's old. So that that wasn't sustainable. And then uh, fortunately for, for the Lakers, Zubat stepped up, but they shipped him out. Um, in a in a move that was like you said to facilitate getting rid of Michael Beasley, which just, like you could have just waived him. <laughs> just just quietly. So the, the Zubats trade is possibly the worst and non most nonsense trade I've ever seen. There is absolutely no positive there from the Lakers no. whatsoever. It is the mo- it is the most ridiculous trade, and there's literally no justification for it in my opinion. I think Mike Muscala so far since he's been traded for has played 13 minutes. Josh, 13. <laughs> 13. <laughs> they traded away their starting center for a guy they've played 13 minutes. And and it was supposedly to make JaVale McGee stop moping, but his play hasn't picked up. I don't think he's played more than 20 games since the trade either. So you, you got to ask, like, what what was going on there? You know, if you if you really needed to get rid of Michael Beasley and he was that big of a, a headache in the locker room, you just wave him. Yeah, simple. You just you just buy him out. You wait. You wave him. You can get rid of him. And then if you really really needed a a stretch five, well, you drafted Mo Wagner in the first round. At some point, you got to figure out what you have there too, right? And so yeah, it's it's just like with the it's just like with Luke Walton. You could try to find some kind of explanation for it. You could you could read between the lines of, of what all these decisions might be, but it really just might come down to these guys aren't very good at their jobs. And that's what, you know, that's what Laker fans are kind of fighting with this season is that this guy, Magic Johnson, who is a Los Angeles icon, he's, he's an actual hero to millions of people who have been going through, who have been battling HIV and AIDS. Uh, he has by, by fighting it so publicly and, and surviving it in the way that he has, he has become an actual hero to those people. And yet, people aren't able to separate that from him as an executive. And and if you just look at him as an executive, getting LeBron, great, awesome. That's a great first step. But everything that they did since getting LeBron, aside from uh, acquiring Reggie Bullock, which I I think was a huge acquisition, uh, but aside from those two things, like what what's been going on? Yeah. And uh, it hasn't been pretty. Yeah, no, it hasn't. It's been a struggle. I guess one last question before I let you go, Anthony: Will the Lakers mm-hmm. make the playoffs? No, yep. no, I don't. I don't think they will. I. It's wild to me. So logically speaking, you look at all of the things that the Lakers are up against. I don't think we're going to see Lonzo Ball again this year. He had that grade three ankle sprain that the Lakers said was going to keep him out four to six weeks, which is the general statement with any you know non uh, non serious sports injury is four to six week is the typical recovery. But they said it was a grade three sprain, which usually requires surgery. So, you know, we, you look at other grade three sprains that didn't require surgery. They're usually came back in, in more of an eight to 10 to 12 week range. Uh, and, and by that time, if the Lakers don't have Lonzo ball for another month or so, they, they won't be in the playoff chase. And at that point, like why, why bring them back at all? You know, so, uh, you have, you have the injuries that they're going up against. They have a tougher schedule than both the Clippers and the Kings. Um, they have LeBron though. So, you know, maybe he's enough to kind of will them there, but we saw it, we, you know, he, he, he isn't capable or, or either he isn't capable physically or willing to 
get the, this team to the playoffs. And 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 frankly, like I, I don't blame him for wanting an offseason. He has a movie to shoot. Space Space Jam Two is coming out in twenty twenty one. Yeah, it's uh, it hasn't been a great season for for Lonzo for the Lakers in general. And yeah. uh, lots of uh, lots of interest uh, for you, Anthony, as this season rolls on and uh, and maybe mercifully uh, comes to a close. <laughs> of course, uh, Anthony will have all that for you over on Locked On Lakers. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Anytime, man. Anytime. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Pacers podcast, Tony East, is here to talk about a team that I feel like the, I say this every time we talk about uh, the Indiana Pacers, Tony, that they're a little bit, uh, I guess, underregarded or, or not disrespected because I hate using that term. But uh, maybe people just aren't aware that this is a team with the fifth best record in the entire NBA. Yeah, one of five teams with 40 wins at this point in time. Uh, every ESPN segment about the top of the East features four teams and conveniently excludes the team currently in third place that has won uh, eight of their last nine games. Yeah, I'm, uh, I have to admit, I'm guilty of that as well. But it just... It, it, <laughs> I don't know how they keep doing it, but they've done it all season. The Victor Oladipo injury, I thought, oh, this is going to push them down to that five seed. They were never you know, really likely to drop any lower than that. But no, it hasn't really even been an impact with Oladipo out, as crazy as that seems. Yeah, you know, their their whole season has kind of been, their identity has been their defensive you know, prowess anyway. And while Victor was good uh, this year, his knee injury kind of lowered his, his level of play from last season. He was still probably the best player on the team, but... They they can uh, match his defensive impact with some good team effort, and their offense has, has been altered a little bit, but because their bench is so good, they're able to find a way to squeak out enough points to stay ahead of teams, and the Wesley Matthews inclusion has their offense at, at a high enough level to, to beat these teams, and, and another three games ahead of the Celtics and have a good chance, like you said, to, to not a good chance, but they have a, a chance to hold on to that three seed and really, really screw up some things in the Eastern Conference. They're doing it without Oladipo. The last two games, they've done it without Miles Turner, who then takes on that role as their best uh, as their best player, and they've just got guys who can step up. Now, I was curious in the offseason when someone like Kylo Quinn decided to sign with the Pacers, especially when Nate McMillan came out and said, well, he's going to play the old Jefferson role, meaning he's just not going to play unless one of the other guys gets injured. <laughs> and O'Quinn was a guy who was productive in New York and had a chance to be a player at a similar level to, say, his former Orlando teammate, uh, Dwayne Dedman, in uh, in Atlanta, who could come in for a, a not-great team and start and play 25 minutes and be really productive. But O'Quinn chose to come to Indiana and play this role. And as I said, the last two games, he steps in as that starter and the, the team doesn't miss a beat. How much are we you know, crediting? And I'm just using the O'Quinn one as an example of players just wanting to come there because they they just see something in the franchise. Do you think that's it? Is it a, is it a spirit thing? Is it a chemistry thing that's keeping, despite all these these issues of guys, you know, big big name guys getting injured and, and their best player getting injured, that the, the, the spirit and the chemistry of this team and, and the coaching and the, and the scheme and all that sort of stuff is pushing them forward? Yeah, a lot of guys, uh, you know, David West, Kylo Quinn, uh, for example, have come here for the for the winning culture, and they and they see something that they like when they view this team. And Quinn especially said, you know, he's okay with the the role that Al Jefferson had, where he's a third center, but he just wanted to be around winning. He spent so long with the Knicks, where it's just a cesspool of losing. Uh, the you know Porzingis, just another example of guys who hate it there. Uh, he really wanted to come somewhere with a good culture that that wins games and. He fits right into that. You know, he he's a competitor. He can do a lot of things, but he's more invested in winning than, you know, playing a lot and, and doing the Deadman thing where, you, you know, maybe you set yourself up for a better contract in the future, but you don't win many games in the process. And I think they've sold that to a lot of guys. You know, players talk to each other and, and understand how organizations are run differently than one another. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of guys are attracted to the way that, that the Pacers run their franchise. And that's how they're able to get guys like O'Quinn, who, you, like you said, are, are productive when they play. They just 
you know, on the Pacers, they're just some guy who steps in for injury insurance, but they, they get those guys every year almost. Even even someone like Tyreek Evans, who was playing 30-plus minutes a night and running things in Memphis, and he comes over to Indiana, and I thought he'd have a much larger role than what he has had, but now he's playing like you know, 18 minutes a night, even with Oladipo out, and maybe he's been a little bit more um, yeah, bristly and had some run-ins with that Pacers, co- uh, Pacers coaching stuff, but it still all seems to be just working as this team you know, wants it to work and everything is just falling into place. And as we said, yeah, they've won 40 games, they've lost 20, they're you know, two games ahead of the Sixers in uh, in fourth place, uh, three three games ahead of the Celtics who are, who are in fifth place. Um, yeah, a little bit of a gap between them and, and the top two teams. But do you think that a, a top four finish is something that this team is not only likely to do, but is expected to do now? They're, they're definitely gunning for it. You know, they wouldn't have signed Wesley Matthews to not Go for it. Uh, the, the challenge is they have a really, really challenging March schedule, one of the hardest in the league. Uh, sort of the Sixers all the while, but you know, waiting those waters is hard. The trouble with March, like you can look and say, okay, they played X tough team or Y tough team, but you know, guys start resting in March, tanking teams start really tanking in March. Like teams are a little different than they are on the surface in the last month of the year, so it's a little harder to project. But on the surface, they do have a, a bit of a harder schedule come then, which will make it more challenging, but. They're definitely going to go for it, and they, and they keep proving time and time again that they can hang with anyone. They, I mean, if they were up double digits on the Bucks in the second half in their game before the All-Star break, they're only lost in their last nine games. Had they held on to that one, a nine-game winning streak with a win over the team with the best record in the NBA, I mean, I think you have to give them a good shot to get the three seed. So I think they still have a decent chance. It's just going to be challenging given uh, the quality of opponents they could have in the, in the next month or so. The... The way this team looks, do you think that we have teams we've seen in the past that you know, put up nice numbers, regular season wins, but then they, they can struggle to be built for playoff basketball? How do you see this team looking? Do you think that there is that playoff ability or is the lack of a, a true star perhaps going to be something that, that is a real bother to them once we head into uh, April and, and perhaps May and June or hopefully June that they'd be looking for anyway? <laughs> It is certainly possible that that is the bane of their existence come the playoffs. Um, their play style, though, they're already one of the slower teams in the league. They count on good defense as opposed to you know some high-powered offense that goes really fast. So in theory, you know, in the playoffs when the game slows down and it's more five-on-five based than transition based, uh, they, they're already set for that play style. They have something going on. And they have good depth, so in theory they can you know, win the, the bench minutes, but in the playoff there's less of those. So uh, some of their strengths are catered to come postseason time and summer weekend. Now that was the same last year uh, when they hung with the Cavs for seven games. And ultimately, like you said, you know, the, the, the star power uh, won that series out. But uh, I think they have a good, as, as good of a chance as you could have given their roster, but the, the star power will really limit them. The signing of Wes Matthews is something we need to touch on here because he's moved straight into that starting lineup, into that spot that was held by Tyreek for a bit and Corey Joseph for a little bit as well. How has he looked in his first few games for Indiana? The first two games, you know, he he started one day after signing. uh, And he joked after the game that uh, he was mad at Coach McMillan for not running any of the sets that they walked through in practice. Uh, So I think he had a tougher time fitting in at first when he was less familiar with what they were going to be actually executing on the floor. And uh, he shot like like four for 16 or 17 over those first two games. But in the last two games, he's done amazing. Uh, he, hit, he hit six threes on, on Friday night. And then Saturday night, he played fantastic defense on Bradley Beal and shot like seven of 11 or something like that. Uh, so he's fitting in very well on both ends as he is now their, probably their best wing defender. Actually, definitely their best wing defender. Uh, and can shoot the three, something that they, they lack. His three-point attempt rate's over 50%. They don't have anyone else on the team like that. So 
he is really fitting in and adding a dimension to a team that they didn't have before they added him. And as long as that continues, I imagine he will be a, a worthy starter on a good team. It's always uh, fortuitous to be able to find a, a play like that that you can plug in when a, a nice little opening appears in that starting lineup and it helps to maintain that depth that has been so strong for the Pacers this season. They are the team that nobody is talking about with the record that nobody, if you went to a casual NBA fan and say, hey, you know who's got the fifth best record in the NBA? Absolutely one out of 100 would say it's Indiana Pacers. <laughs> but here they are. They're pushing towards that uh, home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. And Tony will have all of that covered for you on Locked On Pacers. Tony, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Yep, Josh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And that will do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. After listening to this podcast, when you're in the car, why don't you tell your smart device or tell your car speaker to go play your next favorite Locked On Podcast Network show, whether that is an NFL show, uh, the NBA, uh, the NFL draft coming up soon, uh, your favorite NBA team. Why don't you go and tell your smart device to play Locked On Lakers and it will come straight through your car speakers as you're sitting in that mind-numbingly annoying traffic. Uh, follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore b-ball and follow the network at locked on nba net on both twitter and on instagram give us a five star rating on itunes that would also be fantastic guys we are done here thank you so much for listening everyone see ya